Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, John chapters 20 and 21. We're going to be looking at the last two verses of John chapter 20 and the last five verses of John chapter 21. Those should be right there around page 1250 or so there in your pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to open up there and uh, follow along there. As you're opening up there, I do want to just remind you one more time, we do hope everyone will be able to stay for lunch. Don't forget, if you're a guest with us, I'd love to meet you, say hello to you, give you a small gift, and let you go to the front of the line. So it's a small price to pay to come shake my hand, to get direct first access to First Baptist Fundraiser Grilled Chicken, and uh, it is delicious. Mike and Christy Irwin have kind of headed up this process with our hospitality committee, and uh, Gina Harbison, who's our ministry assistant in the office, has done so much work on the auction, and so I look forward to us all gathering together and having a good time here in just a few minutes. But between now and that delicious meal, let's break the bread of life together. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now look with me at 2120 and following. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. For every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, would you open our hearts and minds this morning. God, we pray that we would receive your word and be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A year, a month, and three days ago, we began this journey together in John's Gospel. This will be our 40th sermon as we uh, walk through this. And many of you uh, have commented uh, the joy that you've experienced uh, as we've walked through this book together. Some of you uh, have uh, expressed your surprise, your surprise at our ability to spend this much time in this book and, and yet still be able to, for you to still be able to gain so much from it. I, I know one of the things that oftentimes folks struggle with 
is wondering whether the Bible's relevant to their hearts and their lives. Wondering if we were to sit down and just go through a book, like John's Gospel, written 2,000 years ago, would, would it really speak to the things that are going on in your life? And brothers and sisters, I, I don't know about you, but it's become clearer to me through this that God knows what I need better than I do. Because I, I can promise you, if I had to sit down and map out for you 40 sermons that I feel like would be helpful and beneficial over this amount of time uh, to speak into your hearts and lives, these are not the sermons I would have chosen. And yet we're dependent on God. John opens up his book and his prologue at the beginning, John chapter 1, and he talks about how through Jesus we have seen grace and truth. Grace and truth have been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, then I share with you some song lyrics that reflect our culture and society's need for grace and truth. In the last year and a month, though, it's become even clearer to me at almost every turn how badly the world around us needs grace and truth. And some of you, I've sat with you at different contexts and in different places in my study and class uh, at the dinner table uh, at... Uh, different contexts, and I've realized each of us in our lives need God's grace and need, God, need God's truth. We need God's truth to keep us in line. We need God's grace to help us when we mess up. As a dad, I deal with this with my three children all the time. How do I balance? How do I balance keeping these knuckleheads in line and reminding them I love them? Reminding them I love them. Thankfully, God doesn't struggle with this balance. I've learned in this ensuing year that the world doesn't do grace well. Anybody notice this? The world doesn't do grace well. I always say we, we seem to have a laissez-faire view on morality in our society. What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. Or, 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 or some folks might say, hey, I'm just living my truth. Or you do you and I'll do me. I'll handle what I do and you handle what you do and yet we can say that we don't have truth all we want but when somebody breaks those rules those unspoken rules we see what happens folks are ostracized folks are kicked out of the community folks are excommunicated from the culture at large the world doesn't do grace well and so as christians we have this amazing opportunity to do truth well because we know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have this opportunity to do grace well. Because we know the one who's given us unmerited, unbridled grace and favor based on what he's done and not what we've done. What an, what an amazing opportunity we have to take the message of this gospel, which I would argue is the core of the message of the New Testament, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, and to show it to those around us, but also to apply it to our own hearts and lives. And so as we, I have a penchant for the dramatic, and so I just felt this need, this compulsion at the end of this series to try to point you to some takeaways from the gospel as a whole. And John has given us these two beautiful, these seven verses, these two small passages to help us sum up to really get our arms and hands around what he's told us in his gospel. What does the Spirit want us to know in the, in the gospel of John? What is the message 
of the beloved disciple. The primary thing, the primary thing that John wants you to know, and that's our first point this morning, is this. John, John's gospel, John is for you to believe. John is for you to believe. Look back at verses 30 and 31 of the 20th chapter of this gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We recognize then that there's no question that John has editorialized. He has chosen some stories to include and some stories not to include. Now, in, by our standards of modern biography, that makes all of us feel a little strange. It, it almost sounds strange to think that he had a purpose as he wrote this history of the life of Jesus to demonstrate to us. But the beautiful thing is, and I, I want you all to remember this, is that we all, uh, we all have a goal. We all have uh, desires. We all have something we're trying to accomplish. We all have an agenda. The important thing is just stating it. There's nothing wrong with having a purpose in writing something or doing something as long as you tell people what the purpose is. And it's not sinful, of course. I love when I write, when I drive and travel different places or when I'm at the gym exercising. I've developed a new habit over the last several months. And that's the process, the habit of listening to audiobooks. Anybody else like audiobooks? Any of y'all like audiobooks? I, I enjoy audiobooks. I, I can't stand uh, uh, time that I just can't do anything in. Now, sometimes I waste time I could do something in, but that's beside the point, okay? I just, Whitney was going to tell y'all that later. Don't let it, but I, 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 that's beside the point. I hate it when I'm, I feel trapped. I'm in a car, I'm on a rowing machine or something like that, and I, de- you know, I need something to do. And so I've learned I can listen to audiobooks. And, and the audiobooks I like to listen to the most are really long biographical books. And so even as I, for example, last year and into this year, listened to the book American Caesar by William Manchester. It's a biography of General Douglas MacArthur. And, and so I'm sort of fascinated by that. And I don't uh, anticipate incorporating all of General MacArthur's principles into my own leadership style, but uh, there's plenty to learn there. And, and those of you who know MacArthur will be relieved that I won't run the church like the Pacific Theater. And so nonetheless, the reality is that as I read these, I will later learn something new about Doug MacArthur, something that wasn't in the biography. I'm listening to Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin about Abraham Lincoln right now. And, and I learned things in this book that even though I've read other Lincoln biographies and will read biographies of Lincoln in the future, I, I listen to the, these books and I learn new things and recognize I still don't know all there is to know about Abraham Lincoln. I don't know all there is to know about Douglas MacArthur. And so no biography, no piece of history can include all that could be included And yet here John is telling us that he wrote these things, including the stories he included, putting them there, why? So that you may believe. He's got a purpose for writing. Now, it's only the modern mind that sees that as an issue, that means that that sees this as, as something that means that we can't believe that the things we hear are trustworthy because he wants us to believe. No, no, no. In fact, it increases our trustworthiness. I would argue the trustworthiness of the Gospel of John to recognize John wants you to see what he has seen as he's being very careful and very meticulous in presenting this material to us. He's presented these things to us that we may believe, first and foremost, that Jesus is the Christ. 
In other words, he's recognizing among his Jewish brethren that there is a Messiah. They, they, they all agreed on this. And so what is he trying to say? He's trying to say, I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He wrote these things to demonstrate uh, to us that Jesus is the chosen one of God, the anointed one of God, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes and promises of the Old Testament. And that anyone who believes the Old Testament ought to believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ. But He takes it one step forward, for, farther for us. He told us this in the, in the get-go, that He wanted us to know this. And yet He's reminding us here again. He also wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. The Son of God, that Jesus is the divine Son of God. It's important that we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He is very much the God-man, fully God and fully man. John wants us to believe. He wants us to see these things. He wants us to know these things. And so if you ever encountered someone who was struggling with this, I would encourage you to sit down and read through the Gospel of John with them. Just sit down and, and read together. A chapter a week, if that's what you want to do. Two chapters a week. Five chapters a week. Sit down and read the Gospel of John and meet together and discuss it and work through John's Gospel. I, I'll sit down. I'll give you all my notes if you, if, you want to, if you want to do that. I'll let you plagiarize my sermons with your friends. Anytime you want, right? All my notes. You can sit down and you can talk to them through, through all these things that you've learned in the Gospel of John to show them, to help them believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. For me, as I've preached through this book, it's been such a fresh reminder in such a good way that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's such a good reminder of the holistic nature of the Bible, that all the Bible points to Jesus. But brothers and sisters, it's such a good reminder, not only of the doctrine of who Jesus is, but also the fruit in our own lives of who Jesus is. Because also, the Bible says, this book was written that you may believe, and that believing you may have life in His name. Life in His name. The life was the light of men. God sent life into a world of death. I've, I've heard it said often, I think it was Tim Keller who I first heard this from, when you, when you stop and think about it, all the religions of the world, all the religions of the world are man's attempts to reach God. It, may, it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, all, all the religions of the world are man's attempts to reach God. If I do this and this and this, I'll be blessed. If I do this and this and this, I'll one day be at peace. If I do this and this and this, I'll be rejoined to the great like. If I do this and this and this, I'll, I'll make it. If I do this and this and this, I'll appease the gods. If I do this and this and this, even our current secular worldview, I'll be happy, healthy, and wise. In one way or another, we're trying to earn something. And yet Christianity is the opposite, isn't it? It's God's attempt to reach man. And not only by sending an envoy here, but simply by coming himself by sending His own Son into the world to become flesh, so that believing in His name, we might have life. Brothers and sisters, John is for us to believe good news. Good news that God loves us 
and cares about us. Good news that He sent His Son into the world. John gives us Christmas and Easter. God sent His own Son into the world, and He died for us and raised from the dead for our sins. Believing in Jesus, you may have life. John is for you to believe, but also, second of all, John is for you to trust the church and the Word. John is for you to trust the church and the Word. Brothers and sisters, just this morning, uh, the newspaper in Houston, Texas, I believe it's the Houston Chronicle, released the first in a multi-part series on Southern Baptists, our own denomination, our own denomination on widespread sexual abuse scandals in Southern Baptist churches in the last 20 and 30 years. And uh, this is well documented. We've, we've known there, this reckoning uh, has been kind of brewing here for the last year, year and a half. Um, but we're just really starting to get a grip on how widespread and how terrible it truly has been. And, and so we live in an age where Southern Baptists, sadly, are not the only Christian denomination or church who's going through a similar reckoning. On top of that, we have a world in which the Bible is looked down upon. It's seen as a book of fairy tales or a book that, and oftentimes this, I'll, I'll be fair and honest, this critique is often true. It's selectively applied oftentimes. We like the parts we like and we don't like the parts we don't like. And so there's a, there's a dearth of trust in the church and the Word. And some of that's our fault and some of that's just sin's fault. But the bottom line is John was written for us to see based on these two characters, John and Peter. I believe John is demonstrating to us here at the end of the book by showing us the end of their stories or, or the end of Peter's at least or a picture of the end of Peter's and, and something of the end of his that he would live a long life that they each were given unique goals, unique things at the end of their lives, at the end of Jesus' ministry. Peter turned. Jesus and Peter are walking. And I'll be honest, Peter's probably struggling a little bit because Jesus has just told him one day he's going to die for his faith. And so as they're walking uh, there down the beach, Peter turns and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? That's a reminder of a story that, that shows a little bit of John's and Peter's friendship. You know, Peter wanted John to ask a question he didn't want to ask, which is kind of funny to think that Peter had some unarticulated thoughts. But nonetheless, here he asked John to ask Jesus. I guess maybe just take some of the pressure off him. And John's reminding them that they're close. And so Peter, obviously, we don't know his motives in asking this, but he certainly asked Jesus Lord, what about this man? Lord, what about John? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers, that is some of the Christians, that this disciple that John was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that you remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, Jesus called Peter, Feed my sheep, right? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He, he called Peter, you're going to wear a martyr's crown. This is the life that you're going to live for me. You're serving the church by feeding my sheep and by being martyred. You're serving my church. And what does he tell John? John's probably going to live a long life. 
I, I'm guessing if, if the dating of John that I adhere to is correct, that John probably wrote his gospel toward the end of his life. And so I would guess his hearers knew at this point that while he may not live forever, he's going to live for a while. I think John's clearing this up because there probably were rumors that he had to die before the Lord would return or, or that as long as he was alive, that meant the Lord wouldn't return. And John probably needed to kind of get it out there that, hey, if I die and the Lord hasn't returned yet, that doesn't mean that this is all false. Right? That, that's not what this means. Some people might have thought the resurrection, the, the, the second coming of the Lord was happening very immediately, very soon. Nonetheless, we, we look at this passage and we recognize John has been given a unique calling in providing this historical witness, this, this, this truthful testimony about the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord. And so I, I really think that these two pictures of these two men are a way that the Spirit, through the ending of the Gospel of John, for the early church, even until today, is encouraging us to trust the church. Trust the church. Give your lives to the church and to trust the Word. Know the Word, read the Word, and trust what God has said. Both matter. Both are important. Furthermore, Jesus is demonstrating that he's using both Peter and John to build his church. There's some people today who say, all I need is a Bible. All I need is a Bible. That's all I need. I don't need a church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to participate in a church. There's a sort of anti-institutionalism that exists where folks feel like uh, you don't have to go to church. And listen, ministers have reinforced this in a lot of ways by sort of complaining about the church and, and talking all the time, saying things like, you you know, going to McDonald's don't make you a hamburger. Going to church don't make you a Christian. And that's true, but on both counts, just so everyone knows, both of those things are true. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, that God has commanded us to love and serve the local church. He's asked us to be involved in the church, to gather together weekly. But then there are people on the flip side who ignore the Bible and say, well, all I need is Jesus. All I need to know is uh, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's all I need to know. And we should always remind them, as one of my seminary professors did, for the Bible tells me so. Well, the Bible tells me so. The scriptures matter. And so Jesus is calling us, I believe, and, and the Spirit, through inspiring John to write these things, is inspiring us even now to focus our trust on Jesus, of course, to believe and put our faith in Him, but at a secondary level to trust the Word and to trust church. I hope you'll consider for yourselves this morning your own need for the Word and the church. And that leads us to the last verse of the Gospel of John. Verse 25. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now some people see this as just sort of trite, right? This is just kind of a trite little, little hyperbole here that John's using, just talking about how great Jesus is. Or they look at it and they see, well, John's view of the world is just so small, so the whole world for him probably just meant Palestine. So he's just kind of exaggerating. But I actually think that John's being literal. I, I really think he means that if we put all the things that Jesus has done into a book, that all the books in the world couldn't contain it. I mean, all the... All the world will be filled with all the books of what Christ has done. Now, why do I think that? 
I think that because I believe as John is closing out his book, he's pointing us back to the reality of who Jesus is. You see, we read this in the flesh, and what we read is all the things Jesus did in his 30 to 35 years, 33 or so years of life, uh, all that he did wouldn't fit in those books. And we think, you know, anybody who lives that amount of time, there's just, you can write down everything they did. But brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't begin at the beginning of his life on earth. I, I think John's intentionally drawing us back to the realities of his prologue. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word existed right before the Word became flesh. The Word was at work before the Word became flesh. The second person of the Trinity was active for eternity past, before He ever became flesh, before we were ever created, before God ever breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ existed. The second person of the Trinity existed. The Son of God has been here a while. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, John, this is our final point this morning, John is for you to see the glory of Christ. John is here, John has been given to us for you to see, to feel, to experience the glory of of Christ, glory as of the only Son from the Father, glory full of grace and truth. And so John wants us to see the glory of Christ in eternity past, that He was the very agent of creation, the Word by which God created the world, and to this very day He is the agent of providence, that Word by which God upholds the Word, by the, quote, Word of His power, Peter tells us later, is the very Son of God. John is here for you to see the glory of Christ in eternity past, and he's here for you to see the glory of Christ in his life. This glory that Jesus would sometimes unveil in feeding thousands, or healing people, or putting an ear back on, or depending on the grace of his Father to the point that he's willing to march to the place of the skull in order to be crucified for your sins. We see then the glory of Christ in his life, and the glory of Christ in his death. And in John, we see the glory of Christ forever, because Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. He has made us a kingdom of priests, Peter will later tell us. And so we see Jesus' glory forever, and we see the glory of Christ in His grace and in His truth. The truth about who we are, created in the image of God. The truth about what we've done, sinned against a loving, just, and benevolent Creator truth about our lives, but the grace that God's given us, the grace of one of us, a man, born of a woman, who lived a perfect life, 
and yet died the death that we deserved as sinners. The grace of a God who condescended to His rebellious creatures to live among them humbly as a servant and to serve them to the point of death, even death on a cross. The grace of God demonstrated to us in the truth and glory of that very same man, that very same son, who though he was dead on the third day raised again, in order that rebellious sinners who deserve death forever can receive newness of life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Truth about who we are. Grace about who God is. Grace demonstrating to us the perfect life that we can have through Him. This is what John is for. For you to see the glory of Christ. And my hope and my prayer is that you have. I want to offer an invitation this morning, uh, as simply as I know how to offer it. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you never put your trust and faith in Him, today I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a Christian. I, I believe you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ. He is faithful to save you. Second of all, you may be looking for a church home. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. And finally, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I, I just need you to pray with me about whatever issue there may be. This altar is open to you today. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and his gospel. And God, we thank you for the fact that he has revealed to us grace and truth. God, we thank you for this journey through the gospel of John. And Lord, we do pray by your grace, we will apply it to our hearts and lives as we move forward in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.